We've been meeting with Rod Martin and global leaders the past few days in the Economic War Room. Now, you remember Rod. He's a great friend of the Economic War Room. He is literally one of America's leading public intellectuals. He's a former PayPal executive. He worked for Peter Thiel and Mike Huckabee. Uh, he's just a brilliant guy. And I want to introduce Rod to a, another friend of the Economic War Room because I was reading this article by Ken Abramowitz recently on the Treaty of Westphalia and the importance of national sovereignty. And I'm going to bring Ken in to the Economic War Room, introduce him to Rod, and then we'll talk about this for a bit. Uh, this article has some important history with huge implications for our future. There's the article. Uh, welcome, Ken Abramowitz, and meet Rod Martin. Great to meet you. Great to be with you all. Well, you know, Ken, I read your, your article. It's phenomenal. And, and Rod, I want you to read that, and we'll talk about it in just a second, if that's all right. But um, Ken Abramowitz is the founder and the managing partner of NGN Capital. He's a leading threat analyst. He's also a financial analyst. He's author of The Multi-Front War, and he manages something like a half a billion dollars, ranked number 15 out of 15,000 analysts in the Wall Street Analyst Hall of Fame. So, Ken, you know, you see all this going on, and you wrote this brilliant article. Um, tell us about uh, the Treaty of Westphalia. W what drove you to write this history? <laughs> well, I would say to myself, I'm watching all these countries invade each other or threaten to invade each other. And, and I, I remembered from my history lessons about the Treaty of Westphalia, and, and I uh, bought a couple of books and went to Google and uh, studied up on the Treaty of Westphalia. And, and then I said to myself, 99% of the people do not remember the Treaty of Westphalia or, or never heard of the Treaty of Westphalia. Sure. And I said that uh, I, I will become a unique author because I'm the, I'm the only person to have written an article on the Treaty of Westphalia this week. And I said, isn't that novel? And so I used the Treaty of Westphalia as a excuse or reason to discuss sovereignty. Uh, such a basic concept. And, and, and here uh, we go through history and, and country after country have, has attacked each other. The Treaty of Westphalia tried to end that uh, in 1648 after the Thirty Year War and, and the uh, Catholics and the Christians and the Protestants killing each other, they finally came to the conclusion that uh, countries should be sovereign and, and there should be religious freedom uh, within the various countries. And, and I said to myself, what, what a simple, obvious concept. And then since we always forget history because we don't uh, collectively do our reading, I said, this is a good time to remind people of the Treaty of Westphalia. No, that's great. And Rod, what's that famous George Santayana quote uh, about history? <laughs> Those who do not remember the past are condemned to repeat it. Yeah, no, you're right. And it's, you put that actually, Ken, you put that in your article, which w was great. Well, you, you talk about how the tree's basically being ignored, dismantled. It's a threat to nation states. And you walk through like 10 different examples. Can you walk through some of those examples where we're violating the, the treaty and, and really denying sovereignty? And forgetting history. And forgetting <laughs> history, yeah. It's not like we were, we're the first you know, folks to go through uh, uh, challenges like this. And so, uh, obviously, Russia invading Ukraine uh, provoked the issue in my mind, uh, because that's so um, uh, 
and, and, and by the way, in watching cousins fighting cousins and Christians fighting Christians, uh, you know, you usually when you have wars in history, it's it's a uh, a certain culture fighting against a different culture, obviously. But to have the same culture fighting each other, well, we call that a civil war. So to some extent, this is a civil war, uh, but it's a very sad, sad day. But then uh, I, I think about um, uh, China and Taiwan. Uh, China is obviously watching very closely. And uh, China illegally took over Hong Kong. And, and the we in the West did nothing about it. So they came to the conclusion, well, let's, let's go after Taiwan. And so um, what's going on in Ukraine is provoking um, China and Taiwan. And simultaneously, the... Um, the mullahs, uh, the supreme leader running Iran, has promised to kill everyone in America and everyone in Israel. I mean, that's like double genocide. You you would think that the, the UN might uh, want to discuss this, <laughs> or someone might want to discuss this. And, um, and, and so these are the three axis of evil countries right now. And, and the West is doing a pretty poor job. Uh, uh, relative to all three issues, and I, I'm worried. And so that's another reason I wrote the article. Yeah, no, you did. And you put, put some other examples in there, uh, Turkey and, and the United Nations condemning Israel and the World Economic Forum and the carbon controls. I mean, there, there, there were 10 of them and all of them. The last one, though, is our own government denying our own nation's territorial sovereignty. I thought that was an important point. Well, that's what I was building to. I, I purposely made it number ten because I went through the other examples, and uh, you know, people say, "Oh, well, that's the, them against those, and those against them." It has nothing to do with me. And then I purposely built to number ten, which was our own U.S. government doesn't uh, uh, accept the sovereignty of our own country. Uh, we are undergoing a full-scale invasion by 160 countries, two or three million or more people coming in a year, and the invasion is orchestrated and led by the federal government uh, in, um, in violation of the Constitution. So this is the, uh, I was building up to the biggest scandal of all, uh, which is our federal government orchestrating the invasion of our country by our enemies. Well, you did a great job. And, and we're going to have to take a break, but when we come back, we'll talk in a little more detail about the importance of national sovereignty. Uh, and I also want to drill down and get your thoughts. I mean, you wrote this, and then I see this big notice that the World Health Organization is, is talking about taking over uh, health policies of every nation in the world because of a pandemic. And, and, you know, what are the implications of that? So I really appreciate, Ken, you know, you went through Nigeria, North Korea, uh, the, the United States government versus uh, state governments and all that. When we come back, let's talk about some of the implications. Where does that take us and what do we do about it? Hey, we've been talking with Ken Abramowitz and Ken, um, tell me, first off, everyone should read your article. Where do they get that? Oh, the article's on my website, savethewest.com. Uh, it's for the, I write it for the public. Everyone's welcome to go. And there's also a pop-up menu. Everyone's welcome to subscribe. And then they'll get my future articles. I write an article every week or two on what's wrong and how to fix it.
No, I love it. You do a great job. Um, uh, I read them every week and look forward to it. So we're talking about national sovereignty and the importance of it. And one of the examples that just popped up is the World Health Organization wanting to take over global health policy. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? Well, let me just step back for 30 seconds. Sure. The, um, I code the bad guys to make it simple for people to understand. I color code the bad guys, the reds, the greens, and the blues. The reds are the communists, authoritarian, socialists, uh, progressives who are actually regressive. They purposely use their wrong name. And the Greens are the Islamists, uh, Muslim Brotherhood, Iran, uh, the Reds, China, Russia, North Korea, um, and, and the Blues, a color-coded uh, blue for the United Nations color. Uh, that's the Blues, but it also includes major corporations, uh, tech corporations, Facebook, Twitter, Google, and, uh, of course, uh, illegally suppressing freedom of speech. And it includes the World Economic Forum. It includes any world organization that you ever heard of, many of which are part of the United Nations, like the World Health Organization that you uh, just cited. And, and the basic element of sovereignty is when I read the Constitution, it says that the president is commander-in-chief. It doesn't say he's commander-in-chief subject to the agreement of the United Nations or the World Economic Forum uh, or the World Health Organization uh, or the Muslim Brotherhood or, or, the, or communist dictatorships. So uh, I, I'm, I'm a big believer that every country has the inherent right of being sovereign. And by the way, you, you or me sitting in our house, we have the right to be sovereign. I can't just walk into your house and say, oh, I ran out of uh, 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 sterling silver uh, for, for a banquet. Can I just steal it? You know, hello, no. So, so just as we as individuals have sovereign rights, we as homeowners uh, or, or home, home livers have rights. So countries have rights. And I don't recognize the rights of any global organization. Oh, so if the World Health Organization says this is our policy, you have to obey it, doesn't matter who we elect or, or not elect, you, that's a violation of our sovereignty. Yes. And I, I would now I, I, I don't mind if someone says I have a suggestion for you. I mean, we all have suggestions from time to time, for many people. So I, I, I'm not objecting to the World Health Organization saying pretty please or or but th there should be no consequences to listening or not listening to anything they have to say. Well, and here's the thing is, it, it, to your point, if we can't vote for officials who have control over that policy rather than having subverted it and handed it over to someone else, then we've lost control of our lives. I mean, the, the World Health Organization, if I read this right, could, could shut everything down, make you stay in your home, uh, mandate that you take experimental vaccines, do all sorts of things. Uh, we can't allow that. And, and sovereignty is an important thing, and, and our elected officials ought to be protecting that sovereignty. That's right. It, and re remember, as it says in the Declaration of Independence, uh, our, the role of our government is to protect our life, liberty, and pursuit of happiness. And I expect the government to do that, and I expect every government to do that. No question. And there are other examples. It's not just the health policy. There's the one world currency discussions, and there are all kinds of things. But I understand from you and reading from this history uh, that recognizing the sovereign rights of other people, that, that keeps you out of war. It, it allows you to live at peace, and it allows prosperity, success, and growth of the whole world. 
Yes, but if you look at the sorry state of history uh, from the beginning, human beings have been fighting each other from when, whenever you think human beings began to be human beings. And so uh, that, that's what human beings do, whether they fight individually or as families, and then they grow up and they fight as cities, and then they fight as countries. So it's actually in, in our history that we do that. But you would think that after all of our history, we would have grown up, so to speak, to, to the point where we respect each other as individuals, we respect them as families, we respect the houses, we respect the cities, the states, and the countries. And here we are after all these years and years and years of history, and we haven't learned a damn thing. No, it's a shame. And, and like the Santiana quote, uh, if, if we forget that, you know, we're doomed to repeat, right? Right, right. So we're repeating all of our mistakes. And by, by the way, uh, what I call what's going on right now, World War III, uh, basically every country is fighting every country. I don't mean like World War II, bombs blowing up all over the place. I monitor six forms of warfare, uh, physical war, cultural war, economic war, uh, legal war, demographic, and cyber. Well, we focus on economic war here, and that leads me to another question. You're, a, you're an all-star analyst. You know, you study the markets, you invest other people's money. When you see what you see, where do you put uh, client funds? Where, where are you investing? <laughs> so you say, where am I hiding? That's, yeah. that's I think, question. Uh, so uh, I, I uh, usually hold about uh, a modest amount of cash for folks, let's say 5%, something like that. Uh, now I would be in the 10 to 20 percent category, which for me is, is high. Um, secondly, I'm trying to move, uh, not that I'm, I'm trying, I always uh, keep about um, 30 to 40 percent of uh, my own and, and client money. And uh, I don't like, and you would call them bonds, or some people would call them bonds. Uh, I, I call them, uh, I prefer bond substitutes. Uh, which are riskier than bonds. Uh, but there's a number of stocks that pay high yields, uh, like business development companies known as BDCs. They're really banks. Uh, they're, they're just banks that are, uh, act like real estate investment trusts and they pay out their earnings, so to speak. So they yield 8, 8% or so. So I keep 30 or 40% of a fund in business development companies. Uh, uh, which I call bonds substitutes because they're not bonds. It's, it, there's no guarantee. As you know, dividends are not guaranteed. Bond payments are guaranteed. Right. And so uh, so be, between a 10 to 20% cash and, and 30 to 40% business development companies, we're talking about at least half of a portfolio is hiding, so to speak, uh, from the traditional stock market. Wow. Uh, it, it looks like that's a great call right now with the market going all over the place. Ken, I want to thank you. you. You are a great American. And what you've done, I mean, when I first met you and you gave that very quick talk on, on what's going on in the world, it was perhaps the most amazing t short talk I've, I've ever heard. I really appreciate you. Thank you so much for what you do for America. It's a pleasure, and, and, and I'm a big fan of yours, by the way. So uh, you keep doing what you're doing, and I'll keep doing what I'm doing, and maybe together we can save Western civilization. Save the West. Is it savethewest.com? Yeah, savethewest.com. And Ken Abramowitz. Thank you so much, Ken. We're going to take another break. When we come back, we'll talk with Rod Martin about the future of nations. We've been talking with Ken Abramowitz, and we've got 
uh, Rod Martin here. And Rod, you know, Ken is just an amazing guy. I mean, did 15, ranked 15th out of 15,000 analysts in the Analyst Hall of Fame. Brilliant man. He's, you know, called us from Israel, actually, is where he is now. And he writes on the importance of nations and the Treaty of Westphalia. I know that's important to you. Tell us, what are your thoughts? Well, it is, and this is a great article, and I'm, I'm glad you shared it with me. Look, right now, the idea of nationalism is being demonized regularly, consistently, uh, continually by people who are really against the idea of nations at all. They, they want to demonize it as, you'll hear, white nationalism. You know, funny, they, they never actually condemn black nationalism or any other kind of nationalism, but, but nationalism is about Hitler. It's nationalism is about yeah. the Klan. Nationalism is the opposite of imperialism. We have to be very, very clear Explain about what that. nationalism is. Nationalism is the breaker of empires. Wilson spoke of it in terms of the right of self-determination. That's how you don't have an Austro-Hungarian empire dominating all of Central Europe anymore. Instead, you have an independent Czechia and Slovakia and Poland and Hungary and Croatia and Slovenia and so forth. You have an independent India instead of a bunch of Indians who are under the heel of London. For that matter, you have an independent America not under the heel of London. The, the empires of a prior age, including the Soviet empire, which is trying to reassert in Ukraine at the moment, are all about this idea that an unelected group of people from another country should have the right to tell you how to live. Oh. Now, the reality is, Globalization gives us many, many good things, but globalization is not the same thing as globalism. And globalism is increasingly just another word for imperialism. It is about unelected people somewhere else telling you how you must live without your input into it. This thing you're talking about with the World Health Organization, you don't get a vote on who belongs to the World Health Assembly. You don't get a vote on who is the general secretary or who heads the World Health Organization, but we're gonna give him sovereign power to determine whether you can go to work or not. This is insane. The entire purpose of the American Revolution, which by the way, started a nation, as opposed to remaining part of an empire, was not just no taxation without representation, but the idea that a, a particular group of people anywhere in the world should have the right to rule itself, to make its own decisions, to be free. You're sounding like Nigel Farage, who was here in the economic war room, talking about why uh, the people in London should not be under control of the people in Brussels. Which is absolutely true, and Nigel's fantastic, and part of the reason he's fantastic is, and this is distinct from the idea of nationalism, he is a patriot. He loves his nation. His nation is a group of people that's basically an extended tribe, which is basically an extended family. There's nothing wrong with the French nation or the German nation, and if those nations want to combine into a European superstate, Good on them, have at it. But if the people of Britain do not wish to be part of that superstate, which at present is governed by a bunch of unelected bureaucrats in Brussels, over whom the average person in England or Scotland has zero say, 
then they shouldn't have to. And that's exactly why we had an American Revolution. We didn't want to be governed by people we didn't elect who didn't share our values, didn't share our point of view, and didn't care. It goes a little further here in the United States, though, because we are United States, but every state has a group of people in it that wants to have control over their own lives too, right? Absolutely, and that is one of the brilliances of the American Revolution, that we have this dual sovereignty. Florida doesn't wish to be governed the way California is governed, and California doesn't wish to be governed the way Tallahassee governs Florida. So we get to not have that. I don't know that. why they don't. It's I amazing. like what Tallahassee's doing. I know, I know. Go Ron DeSantis, best governor in America. But, but we get to have a say over our own lives, different from California. And at the same time, we have the shared values that all Americans share. And... Washington doesn't represent them terribly well right now, but in the main, they do. So, so the key issue here with the people who claim that any sort of nationalism is necessarily racist and awful is just the stupidity of it. America has never been a race or a place. It's an idea. It is this shared set of values captured in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution, and we have voluntarily united into a nation because we share those values. America is the least racist place in the world. Anybody can be American just by choosing to share those values. And anyone who says, oh, we're trying to keep people out, really? Because we let in 1.1 million legal immigrants every year. 1.1 million every year. That's more than the entire population of the state of Florida just since 9-11. It's actually an extraordinary thing. There's nothing like it in the world. And if you want to have more immigration, fine, let's have more. Let's turn that to 2.2 million. If you want less, cut it in half. But what you don't do is break the law, open the border, and make us not a nation because we're ruled by foreigners or put us under the boot heel of some international agency whose officials are not elected and over whom an average person has zero say. Nations matter because nations, just like your church, you wouldn't have outsiders elect your pastor, just like your, your parent-teacher organization, you wouldn't have some other school elect the leadership of your PTO. We actually have to have nations as a way to bound the group of people who get to have a say over their own lives. These things are interrelated, they matter. These are the fruit of the peace of Westphalia, as you've said and as Ken wrote very, very well about. These things are the, the necessary components of liberty. And it's not a knock on anybody else. A true nationalist would never fight an aggressive war to take territory from any other nation because a true nationalist believes in the right of nations to govern themselves. That's really the distinction. And that's where fake nationalists like Hitler weren't really nationalists. They were imperialists pretending nationalism. Ah, there's no question about that if you think about Adolf Hitler. Um, he was invading other nations. And the reason we talk about things with great people like Rod Martin and Ken Abramowitz is because there are economic implications. And as Ken said, you don't allow other people to come into your home at their discretion and take your silver because they're having a party somewhere. There's sovereignty. It matters. It is 
property rights. It is the right to govern yourself. These are all economic issues. And your future will be determined either in Brussels or by someone you elect. And Rod Martin, you know, is a great American. He said it exactly right. We talk about this stuff all the time in the economic war room. And it's an amazing place. It's a community. You need a financial advisor who's going to help you with this. And you can learn more about that at economicwarroom.com. You can also get a copy of this week's economic battle plan. Remember, what we see as a marketplace, our enemies view as a battle space. This is Kevin Freeman from the Economic War Room.